Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Melissa Lee, Morgan Brennan at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Famer, Faber and Kramer have the morning off. It is Columbus Day. Banks, government offices, bond markets closed, obviously. Futures red as the Chinese uh, not only don't refer to a deal in their statement about last week's talks, now they reports they want more meetings before signing anything. Earnings do kick off this week. Europe, uh, meanwhile, watching Brexit hopes fade a bit. Oil's down nearly 2%. Our roadmap begins with deal, or deal to make a deal. Futures lower on reports that China wants more talks before signing the president's highly touted phase one. Plus, cash burn concerns. WeWork director set to meet to discuss two financial rescue options today. And Facebook feud. Elizabeth Warren says the social network takes money to promote lies and creates a fake ad to prove it. So investors trying to digest a lot of news surrounding the first phase of that trade agreement between the U.S. and China. Market sentiment uh, tempered by reports that Beijing wants further talks before making a deal. The Treasury Secretary Mnuchin was on Squawk earlier this morning, talked about just that. We made substantial progress last week in the negotiations. We have a fundamental agreement that is subject to documentation, and there's a lot of work to be done on that front. But it includes intellectual property rights. It includes financial services, it includes currency and foreign exchange, and it also includes very significant structural issues in agriculture uh, on top of significant purchases. So I would describe phase one as quite substantial. As the president has said, as soon as we get phase one complete, we'll move to phase two. He did say that uh, he expected an additional round of tariffs uh, to go into effect December 15th, if no deal by then. That's why a lot of the street today is basically saying the risk of tariff escalation is not over. Yeah, and and certainly it it does seem like just as you kicked this off here today, this idea of an agreement to potentially move towards reaching a bigger trade agreement. The tariffs that have been in place continue to be in place. You continue to have that December overhang. It'll be really interesting to see what the next couple of weeks look like in terms of some of these talks. And certainly we've seen markets dry rating. Mind you, it is a holiday today, but we've seen markets dry rating in, in the futures uh, arena just on all of these different conflicting headlines. The whole thing didn't make sense from the start. I mean, you saw the, you saw the markets fade um, once we got word that there was a deal in place. The thing that was touted by the president was the ag purchases. Even yeah. though IP was part of the deal, you would think that because IP was, to begin with, one of the centerpieces of what a brand deal would be, that that would be the most touted item in the whole phase one deal. And yet that was sort of a footnote at the end, and the ag purchases were the headline. And then the Chinese statement didn't even mention the ag purchases. The whole thing doesn't add up. And it was made clear on Friday that there was no actual pen to paper. So there, were, there was no actual written agreement at all. This is a verbal agreement. So I think until we have a, a written agreement that is signed, the markets say, you know what, I don't believe it. Yeah. Uh, we're getting headlines as well this morning from Premier Lee that they will strictly protect their IP rights, which runs counter to the spirit of the entire discussion uh, as we know it last week. So uh, I think it was Cashin who said, I don't think this gets us to Christmas. We'll talk to Art later on this morning, get his view on what all this means. Uh, for more on the market, obviously, we're joined this morning by Brian Nick, Nuveen's chief investment strategist, and David Lefkowitz, UBS executive director and equity strategist. Guys, good morning. Good to see you. Good morning. Uh, David, what is the, the mood on the street right now regarding this? Well, I think the mood is, is still taking it with a grain of salt. 
uh, I think this, the agreement or, or at least the discussion towards an agreement does reduce some of the downside risks that the market had been worried about over the last several weeks. Uh, but it's clear, as we can see in the media reports, that there still is a, a lot of wood to chop uh, before both sides find some real common ground and, and agree to a, a final document. So I think that means markets are going to continue to be kind of range-bound and, and continue to be very sensitive to the developments that we see on the, on the trade front. Does it at the very least clear some brush for us to worry about other things? we got Brexit coming up in basically two and a half, three weeks. And earnings season is just yes. starting. So the, it's a lot of times you, at the end of the quarter you see the markets turn their attention to something that isn't as fundamentally based, like are these tariffs going to go into effect or are they not? And now we'll start to see these earnings numbers come in for a quarter that we know was marked by a lot of volatility, a lot of trade-related news, most of it bad, inverted yield curve. So a lot of worrisome signs of what we should start to expect from these companies. Could we see another repeat of Q2 in the sense that you see all the estimates come down for earnings? There's, it's really downbeat, and then there's a surprise to the upside. That's our expectation. You saw that a little bit in Q1, especially in Q2. And we've seen the pretty aggressive downward revisions to both Q3 and Q4. We think we maybe eke out sort of a, a slightly positive year-on-year growth number, even though the estimates coming in are in the negative 3 to negative 4% range. But, David, it's a commentary that matters. And in the second quarter, according to Bank of America Merrill Lynch, 17% of S&P 500 companies mentioned tariffs as negative headwinds. And it, that number's got to be higher in this quarter. Got to be. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's clear the, uh, the trade issues are still, are still front and center. But I think also, importantly, we've seen... Uh, some of the business sentiment indicators have, have weakened as well. The ISM manufacturing, ISM non-manufacturing indices are down. Uh, and that, that does suggest that the upside surprises are likely to be a little bit more muted than what we saw in the first half of the year. Now, I, I don't think we're going to see a, a big fall in earnings relative to expectations, uh, but it still does mean that the, the headwinds that, that the global economy has been facing looks like they, they intensified a bit in the quarter, and that's going to be reflected, I think, in the commentary. So what's the risk-reward then? I mean, with the markets just a couple percentage points off of record highs, I mean, is there, is there a lot more upside compared to the potential downside that comes from, uh, you know, a, a trade deal that, that doesn't necessarily happen or earnings season that, that doesn't necessarily come through? Yeah, I think, I think the, the risk-reward is more balanced. I, I mean, I think you still have this kind of decelerating global economy. Uh, at the same time, markets are sort of braced for that. Uh, but I think what we don't really fully understand is uh, if there are some down, how, how big the downside risks are from trade. Uh, and, and at any point, if we start to see business confidence begin to really deteriorate, you know, that, that could start to, have, to weigh more negatively on, on the environment. And I would say last thing is that looking at valuations, I mean, the market's trading at, at a PE multiple that's basically in line with its five-year average. So you know, markets look kind of fairly valued. At the same time, you still have sort of this downward momentum. We're looking for markets to, to continue to be range-bound in that kind of environment. Uh, upsides. Uh, buybacks had a pretty good Q3, right, up relative to last year's Q3, where the Fed's going to be buying stuff through Q2. So how much is that worth? Yeah, the Fed's going to be helpful. I think it's probably more helpful than we expected. If you look at the housing market, it's been a big source of upward surprises in the data during the third quarter. We'll see if that translates to better uh, you know, housing-related earnings for the third quarter as well. So it's not just the consumer anymore. We think this is going to be the first quarter of GDP growth. Look, talking about the third quarter, where residential investment actually adds to the GDP growth since back in 2016. So, I was going to say, how many quarters now has it been a drag? I think Six, it's seven or eight. Seven, yeah. Yeah, yeah, That'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, of course, how, it, they always say housing punches above its weight. How much can it really do for the broader economy. 
Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, this consumer is going to be the story, the make or break story. We know the consumer probably decelerated a little bit in the third quarter. The other thing keeping an eye on this morning is the import data from China was, was really bad. About 8% uh, lower import growth this this point versus the last, uh, last uh, year this time. That means that China is probably growing a lot more slowly than it's even reporting. And it's not just about trade. It's also going to be affecting Germany's economy. It's going to be affecting the rest of Europe. It's going to be affecting our economy, too. And whether or not we strike a trade deal with China in the next couple of weeks, China's economy has been weakening for a long time. David, but when you look at that, when you look at China data, some of the other data from other major markets around the globe, when you look at all the geopolitics that's playing out right now as well, is the U.S. still the best place for investors to be putting their money? Yeah, we actually think it is. We're, we're overweight the U.S. versus uh, relative to other regions. And yeah, the U.S. tends to be a little bit more defensive uh, uh, relative to, to some of the other parts of the, the global equity market. Uh, on top of that, fundamentals are a little bit better here in the U.S. relative to, to other parts of the world. Uh, and the trade issues have really weighed more uh, on, on business sentiment and actual earnings in other parts of the world. So, yeah, so we like the U.S. Re- relative to, to what we see in terms of the opportunity set in emerging markets and, and non-U.S. developed markets. So, Brian, is the way for an investor to be thinking about this right now, given all of the uncertainties and question marks, about preserving wealth or about actually being able to realize greater gains? We're trying to do both at the same time. So we upgraded some of the more defensive parts of the bond market in our asset allocation this quarter. But we also are sticking to a, generally a risk-on stance. We still like U.S. growth stocks the best in the world, so similar to David, uh, David's view. But um, we also upgraded non-U.S. developed simply because the valuations were just so low coming into the quarter. And we think if there's going to be any kind of a balance or optimism about the trade war, that will help Europe as much, if not more, than it will help the United States. What's defensive in the bond market? Longer duration, higher quality. Okay. Yeah. All right, guys, we got a lot uh, being thrown at us this week. We're just getting started. Brian, David, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Directors of WeWork parent company, the We Company, are set to meet as soon as this afternoon to decide on one of two rescue packages, as Andrew Ross Sorkin reported earlier. One would effectively hand control of the office-sharing company to its biggest investor, SoftBank. The other would raise billions in new debt with the help of J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, reports say that WeWork needs about $3 billion to last through next year. So it's, it's got a tight time frame here. Yeah. Talk about a cash crunch here. It'll be really interesting to see how any potential investor deal plays out. It's also pretty amazing to see and to hear the commentary about how this is roiled, not just the private markets in terms of a reckoning around valuations, but also the public markets, what it means for the IPO pipeline, and whether this could potentially mark some sort of peak, as has been suggested by some of the traders in recent weeks. All right. <laughs> when we return, Boeing CEO Dennis Mullenberg gets stripped of his chairman's title. Is his future as CEO in doubt? We're going to explore that question. And taking another look at the futures this morning, the Dow is indicated to open down 55 points, the S&P down five. Uh, this is after lows uh, in the futures market earlier today of greater than 100 points. So we'll see how we open in just a little while. More Squawk in the Street, live from Post 9 at the NYSE when we return. Welcome back. Boeing CEO Dennis Mullenberg has been stripped of his chairman's title. Phil LeBeau is in Chicago with more on what this actually means for the company. Phil. Morgan, this was a decision the Boeing Board of Directors made without Dennis Mullenberg. He was not in the meeting on Friday when the board met and decided that David Calhoun, the lead director at Boeing, 
will serve as non-executive chairman. Now, Calhoun has vast experience in industrials, longtime GE executive, currently senior managing director at Blackstone. So for Dennis Mullenberg, now that he is not chairman of Boeing and strictly CEO, what does that mean? Well, the fourth quarter is going to be crunch time for him. He's got to return the max to service. That is the guidance from the company. They are not changing that guidance. They've got a congressional hearing that Dennis Mullenberg will be at on October 30th. And then he's also got to maintain 737 production. This is important because they have said all along that if they drop below 42 per month, which is the current production rate, the concern is that that could lead either to them or their suppliers having to institute a large number of layoffs. And in this environment where skilled labor is hard to find, especially in the global aerospace supply chain, they want to maintain 42 per month. That's going to be the challenge in the fourth quarter and into the first quarter. Also, don't forget that we get Boeing's third quarter earnings next week. So that's at least the first time. We may hear from him beforehand. Before then, Dennis Mullenberg, not likely since they're in a quiet period, but that is when we will definitely hear from Dennis Mullenberg when they report their Q3 earnings next week. Phil, how does this speak to the broader changes that the board has, or I guess some members of the board or internal committee um, have proposed that Boeing make in the wake of the 737 MAX crisis? Uh, This gets right to the heart of it. They want to make sure that they can, as much as possible, shore up the deficiencies that have been exposed because of the 737 MAX. Almost all of those revolve around the question of safety, how uh, issues are brought up, uh, how people within the company, engineers, can report an issue, which was the case with the 737 MAX, that clearly did not get elevated to the level of attention that it deserved. And that's at the heart of this, so that Dennis Mullenberg now focuses on the MAX getting back in service and on them eventually ramping up production once they get it recertified, while David Calhoun focuses on some of the broader issues uh, for Boeing. And, and Morgan, as you know, with the defense side, they've got a number of issues there. Uh, And this is a company that also has issues with the 737NG. They also have problems with the uh, 777X, which is the next new airplane, which is being pushed out in terms of when we'll finally see it. uh, Phil, just tangentially, we got a downgraded Delta today. We had one last week as well on their cost outlook for the second half. I mean, the argument is if you can't make money or you can't make yield any better in this environment, when can you? Uh, Is that becoming a real talking point for the industry? It is a talking point for the industry, in part because while you have strong demand right now, you continue to see that it's hard for the airlines, including Delta, to grow their fares. In other words, there's so much competition that has continued to come in here that it's hard to get fair pricing power. And that's at the heart of the problem here, not only for Delta, but for the other airlines too. As their costs are increasing, it's becoming tougher for them to say, okay, how do we raise fares? And yes, you do need to see the airlines to a certain extent raise fares. I know the consumer says, we want fares as low as possible. But for the airlines, that's why we see more segmentation in the aircraft. They need to raise those fares, if at all possible. Just quickly, Phil, is there any thought that Dennis Mullenberg could lose his job? I mean, David Calhoun was mentioned in the past as a possible CEO candidate, so that seems very convenient. Well, the feeling that I get from talking with people at Boeing is that they do not want to change the leadership, day-to-day leadership, right now, in the midst of 
so many things that are going on in terms of getting the plane recertified, uh, the congressional hearing that's coming up. My sense is they want to get through this period. If they can do it in the fourth quarter, that'd be great. But if they have to move it into the first quarter, once they get through this period, then I think that conversation might come up. All right, Phil, we'll talk to you in a bit. Uh, Phil LeBeau, obviously, covering the Boeing news today. Art Cash is going to join us after the break. We'll talk with Art about uh, the trade situation, obviously what's going on in Europe, and a ton of names to get to, including GM, Facebook, Libra. Got a big call on Nike. Squawk on the streets back in just a moment. Bell. Let's bring in our cash and director of floor operations with EBS. Art, great to have you with us. Happy Columbus Day. Bond markets are closed, so we're sort of flying blind in terms of the guidance of, of the 10-year yield. Yeah, um, everybody's waiting to see it. are the futures going to respond. Will the Fed delay the October cut? Will we go ahead with it? You know, what will happen? And of course, with the bond market closed, it's very difficult to tell. In addition, it's Thanksgiving up in Canada, and, and it's Sports Day in Japan. They're closed, so there's hardly anybody around. It's just us in Europe, and that will make for rather thin and possibly volatile trading. I think you want to be a little careful today. What's your take on the trade deal or phase one of what was agreed upon? Um, I don't think, as, as Carl quoted me earlier, if it was what they said it was, it would not get us to... Uh, Christmas. I think that uh, it's all blue smoke and mirrors. Uh, There's nothing substantive there. I mean, I admire Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, and he's talking about uh, intellectual properties and whatnot. I'm I'm getting different signals from China. They don't look like they want that to be part of a plan. And, you know, they indicate they're going to take care of it locally. Secondarily, okay, so tomorrow the tariffs were supposed to be raised. If I'm business, I've already traded against that. You know, I, I knew they were coming up. I, I bought whatever I wanted back before they were going to get raised. So uh, the impacts are not very strong here. Um, and, of course, we've got geopolitics. The, the situation in Syria is changing by the minute. Yeah. Um, a lot of things coming up here. Um, October is known for its volatility. Um, keep your seatbelt fastened. Biggest thing that the market's watching for this week, is it going to be earnings or is it going to be the latest for these trade headlines? I, I, I think they're still obsessed with the trade headlines. There'll, there'll be more on that, whether there is detail or not. Um, we'll be looking to see how the earnings hold up. There are estimates of them being down 4 to 5 percent. and We'll see if they can hold together. Why do you think energy is lower today? I mean, obviously, there's all this trade stuff and trying to decipher details of a potential deal with China. But then on the flip side, you do have these geopolitics. You do have everything that's going on in Syria right now. We're sending more troops to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, but it's not directly with the uh, oil production. The Saudi Arabian thing might be, but that's, that's a little further off. You got a spike in oil the other day because overnight there were missiles shot at a tanker. That has subsided. There's been no follow through. And that's one of the reasons, along with the trade deal, that we're pulling back in oil. Uh, Are you seeing hopes that Brexit will be delayed? Um, I'm hearing that. Uh, This is a big day in in, uh, London. Uh, The Queen's speech, a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance, and maybe something significant will come out of it and uh, 
We'll wait and see. Art, great to see you. Thanks for your analysis. My pleasure. Art Cash and Director of Floor Operations at UBS. Opening bell just minutes away. Squawk on the street. Be right back. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world. The opening bell in just over two minutes on a busy Monday morning as we uh, watch China trade and the fallout from those talks last week. As for earnings, guys, it's really a nice mix this week as we get started on Q3 prints of banks, technology, and transports. It's going to yeah. start tomorrow, man. Wilfred's got his work cut out for him tomorrow. He absolutely does. Those transports are going to be key, though, because they do tend to be an early economic indicator, and we have seen those freight flows really soften, especially rollover on the rail side. We get CSX and Union Pacific, Kansas City Southern this week as well. Intermodal will be something to watch with J.B. Hunt, again, ahead of that peak uh, holiday season and what that means for the consumer as well, and then some of the industrial names like Honeywell. I mean, rails have been the area within the transports that have done well, so yeah. we'll get the results from them. They won't necessarily be an indicator of the rest of the transports, but they'll certainly be an indicator overall. Um, in terms of just goods being moved. Exactly. I mean, it's such a wide swath of goods that get moved by rail and really get moved by all of these different um, uh, companies that touch the goods in multiple ways. Uh, we'll see what they all have to say. I mean, in, in terms of the banks, it should be a really interesting quarter. I mean, you can make the argument until you're blue in the face that the banks don't aren't as dependent on the yield curve as they are thought to be for earnings. But the fact of the matter is they trade dependent on the yield curve, and the yield curve has been inverted for most of this quarter until about a week ago. And so that's going to be the trouble. We're going to read these bank earnings with a particular scrutiny when it comes to uh, NIMS, uh, net interest margins, and, and we'll see where that goes. But, you know, they they've aside from their commentary on the economy, their earnings in and of themselves have sort of ceased to be a bellwether for earnings season in general. Yeah. Yeah. We are sort of riding hopes for a better mortgage business uh, as a result of rates coming down. We know what refis and mortgage apps have looked like. We'll talk more about that in a second. Let's get the opening bell here, though, on this uh, Columbus Day Monday at the big board. Get your look at the S&P 500 at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. Here it's uh, celebrating a first listing anniversary and a plan. Provider of cloud-based enterprise planning software. And to the NASDAQ pharmaceutical company, Tricida. On the housing front, Susquehanna takes toll to neutral from positive, uh, just as a comment of what a nice run housing has had. And if you have written some of these names, maybe it is time to bring the register. Yeah. And we've seen rates go a little higher. So you got to wonder what, what impact that will have. I'm watching Blackstone out of the financials getting a downgrade this morning uh, from Bank of America. That's been one of the monster stocks within financials. Uh, it's up, what, 58% so far this year. Um, the Bank of America says the company's turned from great stock into decent stock happens when key events fade. And, and one key event was, of course, the conversion to a C-Corp. Valuation, of course, is also a concern. Um, they're taking down a lot of the alternative asset managers uh, in terms of their price targets there, just on concerns about some of the risks that lie ahead, that there was a, a massive fundraising season for these guys, and that's sort of behind them. Yeah. Another name to keep an eye on today is AECOM announced a deal to sell management services unit to a consortium of private equity firms. $2.4 billion. In many ways, this is the latest in this demerging of these, uh, you know, big conglomerates right now in these industrial players, portfolio streamlining, uh, really looking to make sort of a pure play government services business. That name is surging right now. It's up 7 percent uh, on that news. GM also, again, in fo focus. 
with this strike continuing into its fifth week. And two other names that we talk about a lot in Squawk Alley, and we've certainly been covering closely, have been Lyft and Uber, with those names saying that they're going to sue New York City over a new rule that limits the amount of time drivers are allowed to cruise in Manhattan without passengers. In many ways, this city has been ground zero for a lot of these new regulations. Uh, and now Los Angeles has uh, different rules uh, prohibit them from picking up directly at the airport. Uh, we'll keep an eye on how they respond to municipalities, which has sort of been a running theme in their business model uh, well before they came to the public markets. It's that regulatory overhang, the regulatory uncertainty when it comes to these businesses, but also a business like an Airbnb, which is yep. one of the unicorns in the pipeline. You have to wonder, you know, when various municipalities enforce different rules across the country, it's harder to become... Uh, compliant with all these different rules for different areas, and that's just another headwind for these stocks. And I think it sort of just gets right back at this key argument. You could also make this argument with WeWork as well. These ideas of companies saying that they are tech companies, even though they may, uh, you know, they may be involved in industries that are not so tech focused. Are they a platform, or are they actually something more than a platform? And thus, what does that mean from a regulation standpoint, even on a federal level too? It's yeah. one to keep watching. A couple names in the semiconductor industry to watch. Um, semis overall pretty flat. I mean, obviously, they've been the poster children of the China trade deal, and they're just off fractionally. Uh, but Xilinx is up pretty sharply. Nomura is upgrading that one to a buy from a neutral price target. Goes to 115. That's a 20% upside from Friday's close. Earnings are October 23rd, so that's one to watch. And also, WDC, Western Dig, uh, Loop Capital is upgrading that one to a buy from a hold. Price target to 75 from $50 a share. And this analyst is saying that there's something very important going on in the space and that Flash ASP's average selling prices are going to be higher, not only through the end of this year, but through 2020. And that could mean a big change for a lot of these players, including uh, Western Dig. And uh, if we take a look at Seagate, my guess is that that one would probably be higher as well on this call on, on Flash ASP's. So we're, we're going to be watching semis. These are the bright spots, of course. Semis overall right now are, are not doing too, too much. Yeah. Talk about a battleground. Uh, yeah. To trying to decide what the thesis is on on chips overall. The other battleground I think is interesting is Netflix, up oh, a percent yeah. today. Uh, Ray J's uh, uh, Ray J today has got a piece on whether or not this is in fact I think as B of A said a make or break quarter for the company if they were to miss guidance for a second consecutive quarter. What the future holds for price hikes, whether Disney and everyone else is a existential threat, even though they've been dealing with threats for their entire lifespan. Yeah, and of course, the key question here is if you see that softness, if you see them miss some of these expectations, this is before we've even gotten the big kind of heavyweight competitors launching their services like Disney and, and Apple and the others that are expected next year as well. So really, what does that say? They've got few levers to help them at this point. I mean, if you ever thought that they're going to raise prices again, throw that out the window. I mean, how are they going to raise prices when everybody's coming out with a cheap price plan and they got to compete? I mean, that's that game is over, at least for now, for Netflix. And so they have to deliver on what they have to deliver on without pulling any other levers to help. A lot of the names that are lower uh, today, on the Dow especially, Dow and Cat, for example, are the names that were up on Friday. Uh, it's being helped out, though, the, uh, the blue chips by Nike, as Bamel uh, finally ups it to neutral having basically missed a very nice run uh, in the uh, footmaker stock. Uh, they go, to, they go uh, too neutral from underperform. Price target goes from 70 to 98. Too neutral from an underperform. Okay. Yeah, yeah you, see that, you see that run? You see that run from August? Look at that. So, yeah. Good job, Bamel. Um, I don't know if you saw the stats on Li Ning. So we're talking about all this NBA controversy in China. Li Ning has definitely been a beneficiary, I and mean, we've seen that stock do quite well. It is the best apparel maker in terms of stock performance 
in the world. Uh, and it's been helped by this just athleisure trend that's taking hold in China, but also some of the NBA backlash that's also helping them. If you connect the dots, you got to wonder in China, if leaning is benefiting, who is losing that business? So that's, that's an open-ended question. The longer this NBA boycott goes on, the more these questions you got to ask. Yeah. Sounds eerily similar in some ways to the debate we've had around the iPhone market, too, and Apple and whether Apple has lost market share and what that's looked like to Huawei and other uh, more local competitors, too, just given all of the trade angst and tensions we've seen play out in China. But feeling this is a conversation that's not going away. Facebook obviously had an eventful weekend with their tweets regarding Elizabeth Warren. Um, we know that Zuckerberg is going to be going to the Hill soon. And now we know that Visa and MasterCard and Stripe are the latest ones to essentially leave Libra, which, I don't know, can you build an argument that this thing is... It still has wheels on the bus. Um, that I would say. <laughs> I would say when the payment guys leave, you know that that's real trouble. I mean, I think you want those payment guys in it, and that just tells you what the the regulatory hair that's all over this quote unquote crypto the thing that's being billed as a cryptocurrency, which really is just a stable point at the end of the day. Yeah. This is never. I mean. This had been more of a catalyst for Bitcoin when we saw that ramp. The idea was that people would have wallets and be easier to on-ramp onto Bitcoin. Uh, we've seen Bitcoin pull back. I'm not sure this is a huge, at this point, the huge mover for Facebook. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin actually commented on this on Squawk Box earlier today, and one of the things he said is that he thinks they realize that they're not ready, they're not up to par, and, quote, I assume some of the partners got concerned and dropped out until they meet the standards. He was talking about uh, you know, some of the, the regulatory conversation, I think also this idea of FinCEN and money laundering and just how Libra would actually be set up. So it certainly seems like if it's going to happen, it's got a very long way to go. But given all the broader Facebook backlash, it seems like that is a company that has a lot more on its plate than just worrying about a potential stable coin. Yeah. Smaller area of the market to watch, um, some of the pot stocks uh, really having some difficulty last week. We had that smaller Canadian company, Hexo, uh, that was down about 38% on the week last week after it withdrew its fiscal 2020 guidance. We saw that drag down all of the pot stocks across the board. Uh, and, and so we'll be watching that. Hexo, by the way, is down by another 5%. It's only worth mentioning because of the impact that it's had on some of the broader, some of the bigger players, particularly in Canada. We do have Tilray shares uh, trading higher this morning. And this is, you know, there are a lot of questions now about what kind of earnings these guys will have, whether or not the promise in Canada is really paying off in terms of pricing, in terms of store openings. Um, there's a wider gap between the legal and the illegal markets in terms of pricing, which is making it very, very difficult for these guys to compete. So there's still a lot of questions about this industry that a lot of people have been touting as the next big growth area. It's weird because policy arguably has been going in their favor. The Safe Banking Act on the Hill has got tons of traction. There's a House bill in Colorado, uh, House Bill 1090, that would allow VCs and private equity to jump in uh, in ways they haven't before. No stock reaction to Safe. Nothing. So, I mean, I think that tells you the concern about just the company's basics, the fundamentals behind them. From a market standpoint, and you've certainly covered both of these markets very, very closely, does it almost feel like crypto 2.0 to you in terms of the run-up we saw in the stocks and now the pullback? Um, I think just that trajectory feels like that, but I think in terms of the fundamentals, there's oh, yeah, more totally fundamentals. Different. You know, there's an actual product, there's an actual demand. This product has been in demand for centuries. <laughs> so there is a market for it. It's just a matter of how this market gets executed. Finally, keep your eye on crude. Uh, we're now back all, close to 53, which is 
all the more remarkable when you consider some of the events that have been taking place in the Middle East. Yeah. Putin today arriving in Saudi Arabia. Uh, so we'll watch that. But that's about a 2.5% drop as the Dow's now down about 60 points. Let's get to Bob Bassani, see what else is moving. Morning, Bob. Good morning, Carl. Uh, and trade brought us up on Friday. Trade brings us down. Today, it's the marginal mover of the market. Just show this uh, S&P futures. You can see that around 5.15 in the morning, that's Eastern time. We got some reports here that uh, China wants additional negotiations before it agrees on uh, the wording of a phase one here. Again, this is a truce, not an actual agreement. We lost 15 points there, and we try to come back here. But you see, uh, essentially, the damage has been done right now. In terms of sectors, well, it's those trade groups. They were up on Friday. <laughs> They're back down again today. Bang. Banks, transports, energy, industrials, there's your deep cyclical names that, that move. And, of course, you get the uh, more uh, defensive names doing a little bit better today. So the important thing is what happens after this truce? We don't have an agreement. We have a truce right now. What happens after that here? Remember, my basic theme here is it doesn't change the lower 2020 growth story. The fact that GDP, without a recession, forget a recession, could be 1% to 2% in 2020. This is the narrative that's emerging. Earnings generally will be flat to lower in 2020 as well. I don't think it changed that necessarily. And it doesn't even end the trade wars overall. We know about the debates over capital flows, export controls, industrial policies, things like that. And if you look here about all the trade war fronts that have been out there, Senator Rubio was on our air last week, very aggressive, talking about other fronts, about audit reviews of Chinese companies that list down here. Uh, they want them to be more forthcoming. China's um, weighting in global indices is an issue. Senator Rubio was talking about that as well. Why do we support certain U.S. pension funds? Why would they support adding Chinese companies to these indexes? This gets into a lot broader areas. So my point is none of this goes away, even if you get a phase one agreement. Right now, just take a look at where we are in earnings because they're going to start tomorrow. Of course, we're going to get Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan and things like that. So the numbers have come down a bit. Today, 3% for the earnings estimates down. Uh, July 1st, we were up slightly. Usually you're about three percentage points off. So we're looking at close to flat, but this could be negative potential. It'll be the first one of the year. We use refinitive numbers here. The important thing is the bank numbers have been coming down very aggressively for a very obvious reason. If you look at the banks, for example, on July 1st, bank estimates were up 6.8. These are financials, actually. And now they're only 1.2%. That's a big, big drop on a percentage basis. And the reason that's happening is because of the yield situation. In the beginning of August, remember they put new tariffs on? Take a look at the yields and what, what's going on with the 10-year yield. It dropped rather precipitously in the beginning of August. There it is right there. And that's what kind of spooked everybody and caused a lot of the bank earnings estimates to move down, 10-year yields. And, of course, this tends to move into direction roughly of bank stocks as well. If you look at the KBE, which is the uh, ETF for the major banks, exact same things happen. There's your big drop uh, in August. You can see this has been very, very choppy this year because they've been wanting to buy banks on the idea that the valuations are so low on them. But you can see it's been a very difficult road to try to buy banks at the bottom right now, uh, uh, choppy on the side. So we'll see what happens with Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan tomorrow. But it's that yields that are really pushing around the prices. Guys, back to you. Let's get to Bertha Coombs at the NASDAQ. Hey, Bertha. Uh, watching this morning, and we are seeing a little bit of a reaction with the usual suspects a little bit weaker this morning as hopes for a China trade deal are a little less ebullient, but not 
terribly so. Apple down fractionally. Interesting with Apple, uh, you might want to read on uh, uh, CNBC.com, our Todd Hazelton writing that analysts at TF Securities say that Apple is set to come out with a new cheaper phone. If you can call $399 for a phone cheap anymore uh, these days, this is going to be a smaller phone to try to lure some of those folks who are still on the iPhone 6. The new uh, Apple iOS 13 does not support the iPhone 6. That's about 200 million people people or so who have not yet upgraded. This would be the iPhone SE2, according to those analysts, and it would launch in the first quarter of 2020. So that's something to watch for. Uh, chips are mixed with that upgrade from Nomura over at Xilinx. Uh, that is uh, one of the big gainers here in the NASDAQ this morning and holding up the chip sector, although it is fractionally lower this morning. But chips are among the strongest performers so far this month, up about 2.5% for the sector. Uh, the FANG names are kind of mixed as well. Facebook, of course, feeling a little bit of pressure this morning as both MasterCard, Visa, and Stripe join eBay and PayPal and saying they are not going to be supporting uh, Libra. But nonetheless, uh, Facebook, Netflix, and Apple so far this month are the best performers among those FANG names. Finally, uh, Lyft and Uber continue to face regulatory issues here in New York City. They want to limit the amount of time that Uber and Lyft drivers can cruise around uh, the city, particularly in Manhattan, without customers. And the two ride-sharing firms are suing the city to try to uh, not be penalized on that front. Lyft continues, though, to be under pressure. As you can see, it's down 45 percent from its debut this year. Back over to you guys. Yeah, the story will continue to watch, Bertha. Thank you. Bertha Coombs at the NASDAQ. It is time now for a closer look at oil prices. Those are under pressure this morning. And Dom Chu is at the commodity desk with more. Dom. All right, so Morgan, oil prices are near their lows of the day as of right now, giving back all the gains pretty much from what happened on Friday. If you take a look at those particular prices, the U.S. trade optimism has giveth, giveth and taketh away at the same time. This morning, it's more about accentuate the negative. The lack of detail about those positive developments between trade negotiations on both the U.S. and China side a big reason for the drop today after a bullish mix of events last week that drove up oil prices. You may recall those included positive trade developments as well as news of attacks on an Iranian oil tanker in the Middle East and the Pentagon saying it will deploy more U.S. military personnel and equipment in Saudi Arabia in an effort to deter possible Iranian aggression in the future. Now, the downward pressure in prices today reinforces a near and longer term downtrend in prices. U.S. benchmark West Texas intermediate prices have now fallen by 15 plus percent since a spike in mid-September after those two Saudi oil facilities were attacked. World benchmark Brent crude prices now down by 16 to 17 percent. Carl from that intraday spike in September as well. Back over to you. All right, Don, thank you very much. When we come back, we'll talk China and trade with former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers. For the time being, uh, obviously, look for low volume on this Columbus Day holiday when the bond markets are closed, but the Dow's down 36. Market's still trying to work through exactly what we got in those trade talks last week. Given the holiday, we don't have the bond market to ratify much. For now, Dow's down 15.
Democratic presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren taking aim at Facebook's policy of not fact-checking ads by placing her own ad on the social network just days ago. The ad contains a false claim that Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook endorsed the president's re-election bid, followed by Warren's accusation that the company is deliberately allowing a candidate to intentionally lie to the American people. This weekend, she tweeted, once again, we're seeing Facebook throw its hands up to battling misinformation in the political discourse because when profit comes up against protecting democracy, Facebook chooses profit. This is just the latest chapter in what we know is a battle on both sides, specifically from, we've heard it from Zuckerberg's own voice, the threat that they see in Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, and it gets right back at, you know, the Warren threat, promise, whatever you want to call it, if she were to get elected, that she would be moving to potentially break up this company as well. What's so curious to me here is it really seems to be between Warren and Facebook. You don't hear about Twitter or some of the other social media companies as well. Um, the the policy of Facebook has been to not fact-check political ads. And so this, if they did change it, it would be something, you know, pretty important in terms of conceding that this need this is an area that needs to be fact-checked. Um, but imagine the difficulty for a social media platform, and when I say difficulty, I really mean cost from the investor standpoint, yes. to fact-check every single political ad leading up to the 2020 elections to make sure that everything is true. And this would be the Facebook argument here, right? That between the human resources, the AI resources, that they are big enough to be able to at least attempt to do this. Smaller companies couldn't even potentially do this. That's the argument from the Facebook side, and it just sort of speaks to how big and how difficult this issue is and gets right back at that regulation debate and whether the government needs to step in and what that needs to look like. Stock, though, since the beginning of August has churned between the 50-day and the 200-day and currently at the top end of that range, which has been squeezing, obviously. As long as the company delivers, as long as the company doesn't show any signs of people leaving the ad platform, all this doesn't matter. It does not matter. And that's what investors have clearly signaled with this stock all throughout, um, all throughout all these all these troubles. So Zuckerberg goes to the Hill. It won't matter if they post a good if they post a good quarter. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's just the reality of these of these things. Meantime, keeping an eye on the aerospace and defense names right now as well. In terms of industry groups within within the S&P, it's one of the groups that's actually hanging on to gains, albeit barely right now. Led higher by Arconic. We did see an upgrade over there from Cowan. That is a company that has been hard hit and going through its own uh, turnaround situation, much like we've seen with some of the other bigger industrial names. But Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, Textron, L3 Harris are all trading higher as well. There's a big Army conference happening this week in D.C. It's really the biggest of the year. I would expect to see some contract awards coming into those events this week. And of course, more headlines around everything that's playing out in Syria, which does seem to be developing at, at, you know, a moment's hourly uh, pace here as we begin to scale back our own presence in northern Syria. And you see these new alliances being struck in the region, plus the fact that we're sending more troops to Saudi Arabia, more headlines on a daily basis around Iran as well. Yeah, Erdogan's on the tape this morning uh, saying that they will absolutely finish the job that they've started in northern Syria. Sanctions on Turkey are going to be one of those big things to watch uh, here in the U.S. this week. Uh, What what, what gets slapped onto Turkey from an economic standpoint and um, I guess how deep those run, uh, but it's certainly expected. Meantime, we're talking about defense. On the space side, we've actually got the NASA administrator, Jim Bridenstine, going to be coming on Squawk Alley today as well to talk about all of the space efforts that are afoot, because October's actually been pretty busy 
On the space side as well, we've seen more venture capital flowing into the sector and certainly uh, more of a push as both SpaceX and Boeing, the timelines to get astronauts from U.S. soil uh, back up into space, that timeline has pushed back as of last week in an official capacity. So going to be some headlines there too, I think. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 